say what you will about Athens, Georgia not being a menacing place to play. It's no Death Valley. I won't say that it is. But Georgia fans show up for games like that one. And I expect that place to be absolutely nuts. I really don't know if Notre Dame has has the experience to play in a place like that and play to the caliber that I expect Georgia to be playing at this season. Safe to say, as Georgia football fans, we enjoy hearing our local broadcasters. Think about how many times back in the day we watched the Bulldogs on TV, yet turned down the network feed in favor of the late, great Larry Munson. It still happens today. Many of us prefer to continue to try and sync up our TV with the Georgia Bulldogs radio network just to hear Scott Howard's call instead of whomever ESPN or CBS sends to Athens for that week's matchup. And when the game is over, you and I want to relive the highlights. Sure, we can go check online or tune into SportsCenter. They'll have a few minutes of a general recap and highlight package. But oftentimes, it's the local sports anchor that provides you with the Jake Fromm locker room interview, the live shot from Sanford Bridge, and the overall storylines from an insider's perspective. And today, you'll hear from one of those local sports anchors. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 179 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. This is another edition of our Spotlight series where Tony Will or myself take time out to interview local celebrities, media members, or former players to hear their stories on the Georgia Bulldogs and the Atlanta sports scene. And I'm pleased to introduce this episode's guest, Mr. Wes Blankenship, a University of Georgia Grady College of Journalism graduate and current sports reporter and anchor for 11 Alive in Atlanta. Wes was kind enough to join me here in studio to share a few stories about his time in Athens as an undergrad at UGA and how he spent his college days as a photojournalist at the Red and Black and photographer for the UGA Athletic Association. Wes also shares what it was like to report from the 2018 Rose Bowl, how he uses social media to promote his work, and what his outlook is for the 2019 Georgia Bulldogs football season, and much, much more. Trust me on that. It seems like we cover just about everything. So without any further delay, let's just jump on into another Spotlight series, the West Blankenship interview. All right, so I am here with my friend whom I just met about 30 minutes ago, <laughs> Mr. Wes Blankenship of WXIA. He's a sports reporter, he's an anchor, he's a storyteller, and you've probably seen him at night, uh, probably around 11.25 p.m. when he's yep. working, doing the, doing the sports report. But uh, this is our, or no, this is our third, but this is my second version of the Spotlight series where we are interviewing celebrities, media personalities, maybe former players for this podcast to kind of give y'all a little bit more flavor and variety than just Will, Tony, and myself <laughs> sitting here previewing a Georgia-Tennessee matchup. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Wes Blankenship and uh, tell you Thanks for coming. I appreciate you uh, stopping by on this Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me. I don't think I, I fall into the celebrity category, but... Well, you're uh, on TV, so... Media, sure. Media guy. I'll take that one. <laughs> well, if my 11-year-old knows who you are before you show up, I'd say you're you're kind of in the celebrity category. I, I'm impressed that there's an 11-year-old watching local news, so I'm happy to be here, and, and uh, thanks for having me on, man. I guess that is a good thing. He does tend to stay up a little bit late on the weekends, and of course, my other two as well. They kind of come in a, a package deal, whether or not they're going to go to bed or not, yeah. but... Uh, just a quick background on you. I was kind of looking through your LinkedIn page because it's 2019 and uh-huh. that's very easily accessible. It looks like you were a Georgia graduate. Did you Were you a Grady College of Journalism graduate? I was, yeah. So I started out at Georgia. My first kind of 
exposure into journalism was working at the Red and Black student newspaper. Um, I was a photographer um, for a few years there. And I was also a photographer for the UGA athletics department. My senior year going into, I had a victory lap Mm -hmm. one uh, final fall semester. So that was the uh, 2012 season for reference. So that that was my final football season, which was uh, not as sweet as it maybe should have been or could have been, but uh, definitely had some lean years there in college covering Georgia football when I was a freshman at the Red and Black. And what year were you a freshman? So I was uh, 08 until, and I graduated in the winter, so December of 2012. Okay. Yeah. Where did you go to high school first? Uh, I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I went to Collins Hill High School. From the time you graduated from high school throughout maybe your first two or three years at Georgia, you said you're a photographer and you kind of worked for the Red and Black. Was that always something in your mind? Like you knew exactly what you wanted to do when you grew up, quote unquote? I mean, honestly, I knew I wanted to work in sports media and sports broadcast. I was a total dork growing up. I'd, I'd read the Sunday newspaper on the way to church. I'd read the sports section. I'd read the Gwinnett Daily Post. Uh, shout out to the Gwinnett Daily Post. I'd read the uh, recaps on the games on, on every Georgia game and uh, definitely was the person that would listen to Larry Munson and mute the TV broadcast, depending on you know which channel it was on that weekend. But yeah, I, I always just knew that I wanted to work in sports media, sports journalism. And I think that I had always had a passion to be on SportsCenter. You know, I, I wanted to be Scott Van Pelt or Dan Patrick from a time when I was like 10 years old. I would watch SportsCenter before I went to school. And then when I got to college, I had recently kind of picked up a camera. Uh, I got a camera for one of my graduation presents from high school, really fell in love with uh, visual storytelling. So I always kind of tell people I took a slight detour, but it helped me kind of round out the storyteller that I would eventually be. And I got an internship at 11 Alive, which is where I work now, um, the summer before my final semester. So that kind of brought me back into the fold. I wasn't a, a Grady news source kid. I was a newspapers major, um, went through the photojournalism program there. So that was my foundation was actually shooting. And um, once I had kind of made those connections and uh, had a project that lined me up for a TV job in Macon, Georgia, after I graduated uh, at a station called WMAZ. Um, it's the CBS station down there, and I, I worked there for several years. But my foundation, uh, crazy as it may sound, had nothing to do with television. So starting with photography, that was kind of your inroads to what you're doing now. I mean, yeah, no, it's the same thing. Simple as a camera. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still as you know, you're still telling a story. It's just with images. You know, I wasn't always using my voice or writing, but I learned how to do that by working with other reporters at the Red and Black, and I was always, you know, just a few degrees away from doing that. I just had a camera in my hand throughout college. And what now, kind of camera did you use? Uh, I shot with a Nikon. I had a Nikon and um, had a few lenses. Started off with like a really like the uh, starter camera. Sure, the kit lens. Yep, that's right. And I uh, just kind of did my best and was fortunate to go through a really strong program in Grady and uh, had some access to some much better cameras, much better lenses through my professor, Mark Johnson. 
And uh, from there, I was able to kind of show that I could use really expensive cameras to still capture some really good images and, and some really good moments in that 2012 season for Georgia specifically. Do you have a favorite picture that you took that year, maybe framed in, uh, your, in your wall? Yeah, man. My wife and I framed, it was like a series of like five or six of them. There's one where Alec Ogletree, it's the game against Georgia Tech. And I think it's after, it's either right after or it's later in the game. He has this moment where he like suplexes a guy. Like one of Georgia Tech's running backs, he picks him up off the ground and spikes him into the turf. And he jumps up and like celebrates. And it looks like he's levitating in the air. He's just like, just this moment of jubilation where he's like three feet off the ground, however high he could jump, he jumped that high to celebrate. And it's just this this great moment. It's one of my favorite pictures that I took, but there were so many other ones that, you know, maybe they weren't the best, like, I don't know. Composition. Yeah, they weren't the most exciting, but that was like Todd Gurley's coming out party that season when he was a freshman. And just to see him and just have those moments captured when one of the best Georgia running backs ever was making his hay as a bulldog. You know, th- those are moments that, that are really special to me, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the fact that I have them, you know, as still images. So what's it like for the average fan like me, even though I'm in media and I'm a photographer and videographer, I've never been on the sidelines taking, like, acting as a working photographer yeah. at a game. You've done that, and if you could describe watching a game from the sideline versus people that are watching it either in the end zone or on, yeah. you know, maybe 50 yard line. How is it different than being down there right in the, at the eye level? It's crazy because I love my job and I love being down there, but you would assume that it would be a much better view down there, but you can't see anything. You really can't see much. Like there's a reason why coaches have to have coaches up in the box telling them what they're seeing because from a photographer standpoint, you know, a 10-yard gain running towards me looks the same as a 50-yard run. Mm-hmm. It, it's so difficult to really tell. You, you had to gauge it based on how the crowd's reacting. So that's one thing I'd say is, is people kind of assume that it's like the end-all, be-all. It's great to be down there. And I, if you can, do it. Now, like, do it for a game if you have that opportunity. But you definitely you have better seats than I do, I promise. <laughs> and so you're also down there doing the pregame stuff. Yep. Well, you are now. Do you eventually matriculate yourself back to the press box so you get a better vantage point now? It's a grind when you do what I'm doing. When I started out in Macon, I would cover a game. I'd film it by that point, by the time I got to WMAZ in Macon. And then I would get the postgame sound, get the interviews. And then I would set the tripod up and set it up for myself to stand in front of it and do my own report. And now team's a little bit bigger and I'm I'm thankful for the games when I do have help, either a producer or a uh, photographer who is able to shoot the game for me. And so that definitely does help to go back up to the press box and see it. I'm able to take notes. I'm able to process what's happened in the game a lot better than when I'm sitting or standing on the sidelines trying to film it and also, you know, kind of parcel out what's happening. When you're up in the press box, you can really like mentally make notes better about what the story of the game was. So I'm watching typically the action, the Mm -hmm. running back hitting the hole, the wide receiver coming open, the defensive end putting pressure on the quarterback. And sure, you're seeing that too, but are you formulating 
storylines of how you're going to write your article or you're going to give your report, Mm -hmm. it's probably a fluid experience for you because if there's a last minute thing, maybe that ruined that whole hook you had that you developed and then you got to go with something else. I mean, I can tell you based on a, a game that a lot of people hate me for being at and being able to work at the Rose Bowl. That was a game where I threw any type of plan I had for reporting on that game out the window. I was, I really just got into the state of mind where whatever happened, I was going to be ready to talk about it right after it because I had to be ready to gather some sound, hear from Sony after he scored the winning touchdown, which by that point I didn't know he was going to score. Right. Um, you know, at that point, the last thing I saw before they let us down onto the field, because the rules are a little bit different for a big game like that, you cannot be on the field until like the last five minutes of the game. Obviously, the Rose Bowl is different because it was in overtime. But the last thing I saw before I went down to the field was Sony fumbling mm-hmm. and, and Oklahoma taking it back for the leading touchdown. So by that point, I thought my story was here we go again. You know, we have another crushing defeat, which we would have another uh, week later, but I was ready to report on that, you know, the, the season that they had. And then miraculously you have one of the greatest football games of all time. And Sony ends up redeeming himself and scoring the winning touchdown. And for me, that was such a, uh, just a gratifying thing to be able to cover, but also being able to witness it and, formulate that story and be ready to share that narrative with everybody who had just seen it, kind of break it down, toss to whatever Sony had to say after the game. You know, those are things where I could have had a plan, but my report to the viewers that were watching it afterwards would not have been nearly as good. You know, you you do have games like a blowout against Tennessee. It was one of those games where you knew Georgia was going to win. It was just by how much? Yeah, and at that point, it's I'm like plugging in stats. You know, were you researching the fact that they when they got to 41, were you like, has this ever happened to you? Because we eventually heard that was the first time in however long Tennessee had been shut out at home. That was right. the worst score Georgia had ever put on them in Knoxville. Is that the type of thing you're looking for stats? Yeah, a lot maybe of in times, the media guide, you're kind of thumbing through that. Yeah, a lot of times. Or is that what a producer's for to pull that for you? Well, Google Google helps me out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, some of these things aren't readily available, you know, and sometimes you'll see like a tweet, but you always have to verify the tweet. You know, you have to verify that that stat's correct, you know, because... Well, that'd be embarrassing if you went with something and it oh, was yeah. unfound. I'm sure it's happened before. I, it's definitely happened before. Yeah. I, I've gotten things wrong before and it's like, it's the worst feeling in the world, you know, and I'm, sometimes it, it'll be like a, a high school baseball game, you know, but it, even if I get a statistic wrong there... I take it really personally and I've had a lot of moments where I almost said something incorrect and I just went back and double checked it and I was wrong and I'm glad that I did, you know, but, but something like the 41 to nothing game, I actually wasn't at that game. Our sports department was checking basically every time Georgia scored a touchdown, what's the benchmark? When's the last time Georgia beat Tennessee this badly, scored this many points in Knoxville held Tennessee to zero. You know, there there were a lot of stats in that game that were interesting that Georgia fans still like to tweet out screen grabs of. So since we've talked about the Rose Bowl and you covered that, I do remember seeing you doing 
lead up reports to the Rose Bowl. So you were out there for a while. Did yeah. you get a chance to sit down with Coach Smart or any like Roquan or any of the guys leading up to it? And were you able to develop any kind of relationship or ethos yeah. with the players and then see it play out throughout the week? Yeah, one of the coolest uh, opportunities I had was to speak with Rodrigo Blankenship, who is not related to me as far as I know. <laughs> Um, do you wear glasses? <laughs> I do. I do when I, when I actually take my contacts out. But I don't have the, the rec specs that Rod does. But I did a little piece with Rod, and uh, we talked about how, uh, how people get our last name wrong a lot. And we, have, we had a lot of the same problems. People will leave the, the first N out of our name, so it'll be Blake Inship. Blake Inship. Yeah, okay. so, I mean, it's just problems of, of someone that has a long, weird last name, mm-hmm. you know. So that was cool. That was, that was cool to actually get to know him and uh, kind of do a one-on-one kind of story with, with Rod. Right. So was that the type of thing where you sought that out because of your connection with your last name? Yeah, or? I, I just thought it would be fun. Because those are the pieces that people will click on. Because, I mean, really yeah. you're selling clicks or attention to your station. So you right. tell your producer maybe, hey, this makes sense. Let's yeah. talk to Rodrigo because of the totally. same last name. Yeah, and I think... As you'll see in journalism and broadcast today, especially with sports reporters and broadcasters and like social media personalities, it is a really fine line between making it about yourself. You know, um, I, I like what the guys at Barstool do. It's a little bit different. I could never do it in my current capacity with some of the things that they say and cover and, and things like that. But at the same time, like you have personalities that are kind of sharing their view of an event with the audience. So with something like that, I was able to turn a story that really only I could do and not make it about me, but share that bond with another player. And that's, that's just an easy way, an easy endpoint to tell a story, you know, and that's ultimately what I'm trying to do. So do you think Rodrigo back in, I think it was 2016, when yeah. he did that interview at Kentucky after he kicked the game-winning field goal, do you think that was yeah. by design, or did he just luck into becoming a, a famous, uh, not internet meme, but maybe an internet meme, but just one of the most iconic personalities in college football? Uh, a cult a cult hero. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I'm like best friends with Rod. I don't really right. know him that well, other than our media availabilities, but... From what I know about him, he is a very humble kid. Um, not a kid anymore. I mean, he's he's graduated already, so he's he actually pondered going yeah. into the NFL draft this year as thought, a junior. Thought about it a little bit, but, he, but he's got the SEC graduate degree. I mean, so I, I don't think he strategically planned that out. If he did, he's more of, of an evil mastermind <laughs> than I would think. But college kids now they probably do start thinking that way because oh, yeah. you know, they're verified on twitter at a yeah. young age and they're high school man yeah. yeah and you know the way that the recruiting is i know that jeff Sintel with dog nation he's reporting on all these guys and dog nation daily the, another georgia podcast that's uh, very popular they're 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 putting pumping out content daily and they're mm-hmm. they're really focusing a lot on recruiting they do a good job i get a lot of my information uh from recruiting from their sources but it does seem like kids these days you know, 18, 19, especially the really high level five stars, yeah. they've already become a Zion Williamson, so mm-hmm. to speak, because of their prowess right. on social media. And you think about the fact that they can't go one and done like the college basketball True. players can. So if they're an elite athlete and they only get better, they're only going to get 
more famous and more popular, uh, especially on social media mm-hmm. as time goes on. So yeah, it's been crazy to watch how Rod has like evolved from that kind of. He's even got a new look this year. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. It's more professional looking. Yeah, he's, he's gotten rid of the uh, rec specs. I think he's trimmed the beard up a little bit. So he's he's getting ready for the real world, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I did see that on your uh, your website mm-hmm. is uh, westblankenship.co, not, yeah. not com. Did, could you not get the .com? No, I, could, I couldn't get the M, man. Huh. That M is tough. So now... Uh, and you've got your demo reel on that. Yeah. And is that kind of how you promote your, your stuff to... WXIA or, or who, who are you? Who are you targeting when people go to WestBlankenship.co? I, I think we have such a, a massive body of work that we do. I personally like to keep a record. It's like of, a repository for you, yeah, of some of my best stuff and have it available for people to see because you have to meet people and viewers where they are, you know, and people aren't. You know, they're not setting their watches by the evening news anymore, you know? So if I want people to know what kind of work I, I do, what I cover, what some of my expertises may be, you know, I think it helps people to be able to, to watch some of those things. So I did watch, I think there's one that's about seven minutes. And I would encourage all of our listeners to watch it. West does a really good job, and you can see him covering everything from the Bulldogs to Atlanta United to the Braves to the Hawks. Um, but it kind of helped me develop a question for you when I was watching that. As you're building your sports casting yeah. career, are you trying to hone like a certain play-by-play cadence or maybe some local references or some iconic call or, mm-hmm. you know, like how uh, Kenny Mayne is or I, I don't want to put you in the Chris Berman category because <laughs> his his jumped the shark a little bit. Yeah. But I did notice you said when you were referring to Atlanta United when they were scoring – that they were scattered, covered, and smothered yeah. using that Waffle House Southern sure. reference on that. Is that something that pops in your head? Is that just natural? My goal, Scott, is is just to let people know where I'm from, let people know who I am. And I don't think that any broadcaster that tries to hide that is doing a great service to the people that are listening to him or her. I think it's important for people to get a true sense of what your personality is what your interests are. I love Waffle House. They don't have to pay me to say that. But it's just things like that, man. It's like I grew up in Georgia, and um, I want people to kind of get a sense of where I've come from. And I think that those experiences, those values that I've been raised up with, like those are things that shape not only who I am as like a broadcaster, but who I am as a person. And I, I think ultimately... I don't want those things to be different. You know, I don't, I don't want to have a, a different voice on television than I do when I'm talking to you. Well, I think it is real authentic because I can remember as I was watching that, I didn't know that was coming up. It brought a smile to my face. And I think it's endearing to viewers when they do hear something like that because they do identify because guess what you're doing? Local sports. Right. And they're Atlanta United fans, probably 95% of the people watching that. Yeah. And so when it does have a viewer pause and kind of smile or mm-hmm. maybe they'll rewind it and say you know hey honey watch this this is yeah. funny um or listen to this i think that's that's endearing i think that's a good quality to have and um i mean that's what we do on this show we're yeah. we're non-apologetic on our homerism sure for georgia football now will tony and i all take kind of different roles uh-huh. you know tony is 
the guy that's forgotten more about Georgia football than I know. Will is the the guy that we're bringing along from Illinois to love Georgia football. And I think he's been crowned that he's finally been conformed to how Dude, Georgia I, fans I, I are. I couldn't tell that he wasn't from Really? Georgia. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, to be fair, his wife went to Georgia with my, okay. my wife. They there actually grew up in Columbus together. Okay. And so he's married to a Southerner. And they met so he's in New been, York. He's been baptized. He has been baptized, but he the the funny stat. I don't know if we've covered this, but uh, he moved down to Athens sight unseen. His oh, wife said, "Lucky guy, we're going to move to Athens." Yeah, you know, and the story's a lot more detailed than that, of course. But uh, they decided to move out of uh, Brooklyn, and they picked Athens. And I met him. I think it was at Last Resort. No, it was a. Uh, Five and ten. Okay. One time, back when five and ten was in five points, um, it was the first time I met him, and I immediately hit it off with him. And of course, when I found out that he had found a dead spin and wrote all these amazing sports articles, I, I had to kind of check myself not to go over the edge on a not not fanboy. Too right. Far. Exactly. Even though that I don't think he would have taken offense to that. So bringing it back to yeah. be who you are. Yeah. And uh, I think it's great to be unapologetic especially in sports because really you're not hurting anybody's feelings no in sports you know no. even if you're a homer it's it's way different in global politics or you know when you're talking about real news oh, yeah. uh, that's happening um but yeah with sports be yourself have an opinion you yeah know, that's another thing that i've taken time to be more comfortable with but i'll say th- you know I'll, i will kind of write my own little editorials that are about a minute a minute and a half and those are things that I'm excited to share with people because I haven't always been, you know, comfortable doing it. It's kind of just this part of uh, maturing a little bit as a broadcaster, as a sportscaster, forming opinions on things too, because everyone has an opinion on something in sports, whether it's something that a coach said or a player did, that's only going to make my connection better. I might make some people mad. I might, say something that a lot of people agree with, you know, but the main thing is how can I tell a story that's not just reporting on the stats of the game, you know? Right. Cause everyone can find that anywhere. You can get that on your, on your phone. Oh, right I think, and, and that's probably what you're competing with because yeah. how do you stand out in a sea of information where, yeah. you know, you got the athletic that's putting out constant mm-hmm. information. You've got ESPN who seems to constantly be updating their app to where it does yeah. basically everything. Right. Um, and then you're at WXIA and you have your nightly sports report. Yep. And then maybe you do have a minute editorial. You've got to kind of stand out instead yes. of just blending into the, the totally. background. It's how do you compete and how do you compete and stand out while also being authentic and not becoming some creature that you're sure. not, you know, and, and not being outrageous. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a, it's a tough line to walk sometimes. Um, but that's also the beauty of local sports right now. You know, we, we get an opportunity to tell some really great community stories, whether it's at the high school level, uh, or individually about professional athletes, you know, like you get to do all of those different things and it's really, it's a great, uh, playground to kind of be able to operate in. I've also noticed that on that late sports cast, sometimes I guess it's on Sunday mm-hmm. evenings. Is that right? Yeah. Or maybe Saturday a, you, you bring in other people. Yeah. Like I saw George Foster, former O lineman, yeah. you know, he's big on Twitter. Yeah. I love George. Um, and a couple other guys, depending on what sport you're kind of mm-hmm. focusing on. And that's really cool how you do that as well. Yeah. We have a half hour show each Sunday, uh, myself and my colleague, Alex Glaze, we kind of rotate, 
um, each Sunday a show called Sports Extra, and we'll have two or three guests on any given Sunday, and we kind of recap the weekend sports, but we'll also kind of look ahead, kind of break down what's going on. This time of year, obviously, it's a lot of Braves on a Sunday night, uh, which is good, but we also spend a lot of time talking about SEC football, which I think... You could it's probably do it all year. Magical <laughs> times of the summer. Yeah, July. When yeah. I, are, oh, will yeah. you be going to media days? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going this year. It was it was convenient when it was in Atlanta last summer, uh, but this year it's back in Hoover. They're going to put it on the rotation yep. part of it. So, question I wrote down because we have debated this on our podcast ever since its inception. Now, I'll go ahead and say before I before I re- reveal what I'm going to ask you. Uh, Will tries to talk me out of this way of thinking. Okay. Um, Tony is kind of silent on the fence about it, and yeah. I'm I'm, com- I'm completely I'm in the bag for this way of thinking, and I have right. to fight myself not to think this way. But do you subscribe to an Atlanta sports curse? And I know Atlanta United <laughs> won the soccer championship, the yeah. MLS championship, but and not to discount that because my kids and and I were as excited as I could be yeah. about that, but. They've only been around for a handful of years, and I'm a long-suffering native Atlanta and yeah. Georgia fan. Do you subscribe to that, or is that just something, the fact that we're just not Boston? I have made a lot of people upset with this opinion, but I do not believe that Atlanta United broke Atlanta's sports curse. So you'd have disagreement with Will, I know, and maybe Tony on that if they were here. Yeah. Uh, my colleague Jeff Hollinger said this the best way I've heard it summed up. We were doing the uh, victory parade, and I loved covering every second of Atlanta. Yeah, to be fair, you're a huge fan. Championship season, it was great. Right, the success they had was, um, you know, it, it was fantastic. They were they were recognized as like the sports team of the year by multiple people that give out awards about that kind of thing, and they earned it. I mean, they took a grassroots movement. And turn it into a championship in a professional uh, league. Okay, beyond that, they don't have the original sin. That's what Jeff Hollinger said during the the parade. They don't have the original sin that the Falcons have, that the Braves have, that the Hawks have. I include Georgia in Atlanta sports scene, even though they're in Athens. Listen to any sports talk radio station in Atlanta. They talk about Georgia football more than they talk about the Hawks. They don't have the original sin. They were around for two years. You don't consider their, that loss to Columbus the year before I, I in the don't. playoffs? I, I really don't. I mean, that was their first. That was their first season. You know, they did not have the storied like decade. I'm talking about decades. I'm talking about like you can count on both hands the times that they broke your heart. To me. If you don't have that kind of history behind you, you were not cursed. They were not part of the curse. They won a So cha- you're saying they, the they curse were, still stands. They won a championship. Right, right. But until uh, the Falcons or the Braves or the Hawks win a, like a, a world title, I don't think that Atlanta United broke the curse. I just don't. And that's an interesting take. I hadn't heard that. And, and I want the listeners to, to understand – Wes is completely ecstatic that United won the cup, the MLS Cup, as am I. You, you said it. You said Hollinger said the original yeah. sin thing. The, the original I, sin. I think that's a good way of yeah. putting it, kind of differentiating it a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. 
And one of my buddies, uh, Barrett Salee, who uh, works for CBS Sports. Yeah, we've had Barrett on the podcast. He, he tweeted a few days ago, and I quote tweeted him, but he was talking about how, you know, it's Atlanta sports' time to win a championship, and a lot of people were giving him flack about it. And I, I quote tweeted him, and I said, bless your hearts, you guys are getting mad about this, you know. And bless your heart is not always. Tony yeah. says that all the time. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like, don't I really don't want to bless your heart you know right right it's just one of those southern things yeah but bless your heart if you're mad about that that quote if you're if you're mad about what barrett said about atlanta teams still needing to win a championship i i agree with that well and you i really like how you kind of compartmentalize it into the original sin because that makes sense to me um growing up here and and seeing everything i i talked about it last season in our podcast remembering Really, my first memory of an Atlanta sports curse, and I'm using air quotes because it's not a coin phrase. I'm just for for ease of explanation. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm using. But I think it was 1980. Uh, the Falcons lost in a divisional round to the Cowboys to yeah. Danny White, and I seeing my dad. I was four, and my dad was just beside himself. And, oh yeah. You know, then going through all of the 80s of the Falcons and everything, and then fast forward. We also, you also have the, the Celtics. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, you have Dominique Hawks. and Doc Rivers on some of those teams, and, and they couldn't get over the Celtics. You know, there, there's always someone in the way. And uh, yeah. Well, uh, who is it? Uh, Jim Lairitz was in the way yep. of the Braves. You know, with Mark, you mentioned the word Mark Wohlers. Mm-hmm. People just kind of, their, their shoulders fall. They're like, oh, there we go. And you know, the, despite the fact that the Braves had 14 straight first-place finishes and one Right. World Series. Um, Yeah, I wrote down, I guess we were on the same wavelength because I wrote down original sins, even though I didn't know you were going to bring that up. That's why. (laughs) The Hawks never making the NBA finals. Yep. Um, Of course, Georgia football Mm -hmm. uh, with the national championship game really just put Alabama recently from 2012 to the past two years. Even 2008, Georgia baseball. Oh, they it was it was like the past one this this year where Michigan yeah. won the first game, Georgia won the first game, and then Fresno State beat them Fresno twice. Fresno State, man, yeah, I'll a never four forget seed. That I will never forget that whole series, man. It's crazy because that was that was the summer that I was going into my freshman year at Georgia, and um, it really kind of started a, a downslide of of Georgia sports because that was the year that uh, you have the Sports Illustrated cover right here to your right. With uh, Matthew Stafford and Noshan and uh, Danelle Ellerby. You know, that was the team that was number one. one. And they only went downhill from there. I remember they played Georgia Southern the first game and played them close. They dropped in the polls after that first week to number two. So it didn't last very long uh, on that one. Um, What was the other one? Oh, I was wanting to know. We mentioned this a couple times before, but the day that the Braves won their one their one world series yeah it was october 28th 1995 yep it was the same day that florida put 52 on georgia and sanford stadium so even as i'm a college student then Mm -hmm. and i had just witnessed one of the worst most humbling not even humbling just downright awful football games at sanford stadium and i'm downtown athens with a ton of my fraternity brothers and friends we were at a bar called Clyde's. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was. Uh, it basically ran the the gamut from Broad Street to Clayton Street, yeah. kind of near near where the old Pepinos used to be. Basically, it's where Porterhouse Grill is now. But okay. I digress. Yeah, yeah. That's the location of it. 
we are sitting there watching, you know, Dave Justice hits the home run, Tom Glavin finishes out, Marquise Grissom catches that ball. I remember we're just ecstatic. I mean, we legit had forgotten about the Georgia game. I turn around, and there's a row of Florida Gator fans equally as excited as I am because that was before the Marlins were Uh doing anything and definitely even before the Rays had even come into existence. Yeah. So it just kind of was an immediate run of emotions from ecstatic to that remembrance of what had just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of, it's kind of bitter and it just holds true to that whole Atlanta sports curse or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I I can see that. (laughs) I don't know how I would have felt. I was five. I mean, I do remember, (laughs) There's I I do remember that night. I remember the win. I'm, I'm glad I do have memories of that. Otherwise I'd wonder if it really happened. Um, what was the best bar in Athens when you were, when you uh, were probably uptown, uptown, uptown lounge, which is, it's gone now. Um, okay. it was, it's kind of a uh, perpendicular to where the Georgia theater is now. Um, Flanagan's was there. Flanagan's was there. That was my wife. Wow. And my first date, we went to Flanagan's and we actually went in there last fall. Just, we, we had a night out and we were downtown and we kind of debated, should we go in there? <laughs> we went in there, we had a good time, had a couple yeah. drinks, but uh, yeah, it's good to see that some of the original, the good. OGs are, are still there. And of course uh, the globe, yeah. was, but that was more of a refined bar, but yeah, it was Clyde's back so in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Washington street was one of the places where uh, all the tennis players would go. Cause I was friends with a lot of the tennis team back when okay. they were winning national championships yeah. at Georgia. Um, so yeah, the Georgia theater, uptown, um, 40 watt, those are all places that are still around. It was it's crazy great. how every, every generation of like Georgia graduate. Has what was your bar? Their bar. Uh, man, let's see. In the late two thousands. Yeah. They, uh, silver dollar was a new one and, and, uh, I guess they're, they call it silver now. That's like that on Clayton? a cool, cool way to say it. It's on Washington, Washington, oh, Washington. and, uh. Washington College. Co- okay, it's yeah. still it's on that corner, right? Yeah. And see, because City Bar used to be C- City is Bar this still was there? also a good one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'd go City Bar, but yeah, it, it does change a lot. I yeah. mean, you you if if you don't live in Athens and you go from one football season to another, you're oh, bound yeah. to see they have a Chick Fil A downtown now. Oh. <laughs> These kids, like the the students, they got they it good. Have, it's so good. They got a Chick Fil A in the Tate Center. I was there. I was at the Tate Center the other day. Yep. Uh, I had some family in town. And I was showing them Sanford Stadium. One thing I'd love to commend. Uh, all the University of Georgia Athletic Department that listens to this podcast. Maybe <laughs> shout out to John Bateman. Um, They're huddled around their, yeah. their iPhones right But now. I'd love to commend the fact that when they redid the West End Zone, you can walk in oh, yeah. to great, right, right at the top of yeah. where the, the rows end. And you can get some of the best photos, and you can really feel like you're immersed. Yeah. And then you can turn around and see the front of the scoreboard, because I brought my uncle in there, who's from Houston. Uh-huh. And he couldn't believe the access because one he couldn't believe that Sanford Stadium just doesn't stand out like some big monolith like Auburn does right or, or College Station at Texas A&M it's just kind of fits nicely I love that into yeah. how the campus rolls yeah we were um I think it was the day that we learned that they were going to name the field after Vince Dooley uh we came up here myself and a photographer and it was like the week of finals and we were going to do our report from Sanford and I couldn't have done that, you know, two years right. ago because of the access. Um, but there were like, there were a couple of girls like studying for their finals, like in a seat, you know, right out, like looking at the hedges, 
You know, it's wild. I, I never could have imagined they would have done anything like that at Sanford. Yeah, it's a it's a great benefit to I guess Kirby being here. You know, you've got yeah. the indoor practice facility, you've got the improvements to the West End Zone, and all the bunting around. You know, they they really yeah. did a good job at that last year. When you walk in, it just feels better. And now they're going to maybe sell alcohol. Um, I, what's your take on that? I mean, that was kind of a big blow up. Yeah. I, I personally don't have an opinion about it because yeah. if you really want alcohol, you, you drink it at your tailgate and maybe, maybe you have extra pockets. I won't <laughs> say anything past that. And then you, maybe you're invited to the sky suite where it's flowing yeah. the whole game. Yeah. I think it's like anything in the South. It's, um, kind of like that courtesy that we just have to ease into the pool a little bit, you know, you think it'll eventually happen. I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I even heard that some people, bring their own alcohol into the game, you know? And that, that just blew my mind. <laughs> just, I can't imagine, you know, how people do that. But, uh, but no, seriously, I, I, think, um, I think it'll happen. And it, there's no reason not to. I, I think uh, the people that want to get overserved find a way of getting <laughs> kicked out eventually during the games anyway. So I'm not endorsing it or opposing it. I just think it's kind of inevitable. It's it's the the landscape of college football. It's it's worked too many other places for it to not happen. You know. Yeah. I want to go backwards a little bit, maybe in the time machine. You said you grew up in Lawrenceville. Yeah. Went to Collins Hill High yep. School. They're the Eagles. The Eagles. Okay. Because yeah. I, I, the only way I know that is because they're helmeted. I can picture it in my head. Yeah, with the green. Where's that located? Like in Lawrenceville. Eagles uniform. It's uh. It's right near Swanee. Okay. You know where that is. Yeah. So there's the uh, Lawrenceville Swanee exit off of I-85 if you're going north. And you take a right and you go straight for a little while. And it is basically like five, ten minutes off the interstate, depending on which exit you take. How many high schools are there in Gwinnett County? Oh, man. They, they, it seems like they build a new one each year. And we're always kind of bitter about that because we were – so we were kind of like a feeder school off of uh, Central and North Gwinnett. Okay. And then they built another feeder school off of our kind of population called Peachtree Ridge. They're pretty good. And they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And they took like all of our, because, you know, when those schools split, you kind of have an opportunity to choose where you want to go. And there's just something about those Gwinnett schools, all of the best athletes. It's kind of like the NBA. Like they just form these super mm. teams and they all pick the new school. It, so they kind of literally fails. got together. Yeah. It, yeah. Huh. I mean, Look at like Archer, Archer High School, which is down there too. Like as soon as they were built, they were playing in the in the state playoffs. It was it's just insane. You wouldn't think that it would happen that way. You'd think a brand new school would have a hard time, but they find a way to get like the best athletes, and um, that's kind of what happened to us. We did have uh, Maya Moore. Maya Moore played basketball. Really, Collins Hill, UConn. Um, Maya Moore, who's now yep. in the WNBA for yep. who, who does she play for? Well, she's she's, she's like a, an all star. She's on a hiatus. Oh, she is. Yeah, she took a hiatus to do like missions work and stuff. Oh, okay. She's done everything she needs to sure. do. She she's won Olympic gold medals. She's won world championships in like China. You know, she's <laughs> yeah. done everything. Yeah. You know, so she's moving on. Did you play any sports in high school? Yeah, I played. Uh, I played football and. I had to stop playing my junior year because I got too many concussions. So I was still on the team. You know, my best friends were still on the team. But this was before we knew really about like CTE or any of that stuff. So it was pretty bittersweet for me because I was like coming home every day from practice. 
and I like couldn't see, you know, I'd stand up, not even like when you stand up too fast and you can't see, like I would just stand up a normal stand up, you know, I, I'd lose my vision, you know? So like, I'm definitely grateful that I didn't keep playing, but yeah, that's, that was my high school athletics career, two and a half years, I guess, or three years of uh, high school football. So I'm guessing with your height, you were like a wide receiver or a tight end? Yeah, I played tight end. Okay. Yeah. Were you good? I, dude, I never dropped a pass. In, in, in <laughs> I think Georgia might could use you in, with uh, their lack practice. of tight ends. It, yeah, I was I was very similar to a Georgia tight end. We didn't really get we didn't really get the ball very much. <laughs> was Jim Cheney your offensive that's, coordinator? That's Is okay. that what it was? No, no. I, I love my offensive coordinator. I love them. So who um, when you were playing? Obviously, Gwinnett County at Grayson and Brookwood, yeah. they produce a lot. Did you play against any D one uh, or uh, NFL players that are man? The game. I don't even remember if it was a scrimmage or if it was a real game, but we played against Caleb King at Parkview mm-hmm. before he transferred to GAC. And I'm telling you, man, he was one of the greatest high school athletes that, for whatever reason, did not live up to in college. You know, and I, I always think about him because he was like the nationwide name at running back, and um, he ran all over us. He, he was he was incredible. You so good. Anybody on the defensive side? Uh, you, were you there with Cameron Brent? Hayward? Oh, okay. Was at Peachtree Ridge. That's right. And he's one of the guys that I talk about. Would have, should have, could have played at Collins Hill. You know, Ironhead's son, right? Ironhead. Yeah, yeah, I man. played golf with Craig Ironhead Hayward before oh, yeah? he passed away um, at a celebrity golf tournament. Great family. He was. He was an awesome. I was. Yeah. I was in awe. Yeah, of playing with him and the fact that he could play golf and he was yeah he was probably our a player that tells you a lot about our team but he was he did really <laughs> well that day um so during your time at uga yeah what was it like being really projected we talked about this at the beginning really focused on because when i was at georgia i didn't know what i wanted to do yeah um i was a speech communication major but how was that different than maybe a typical college kid the fact that you were so laser laser focused you had yeah. internships you were working at the red and black you had things to do it was i guess it was kind of almost like how athletes are they they're so regimented and their days are planned for mm-hmm. them i guess yours was kind of like that yeah mine was a lot like that but with a lot less time in the gym um, <laughs> yeah but uh no it's it's some sacrifices man like some of my best friends through that time are still my best friends because the ones that like truly didn't understand socially why I couldn't be doing stuff every night of the week, you know, which you tend to <laughs> have a way to find a way to do right. in Athens. It's a lot of time where you're just like, yeah, I got to go over here. I got to go shoot this. I got to, cause even with Grady, the, the magical thing about Grady, if you're a Grady student, they are pushing you out the door at every chance they to go get do something to go shoot something oh, or nice. go cover something, you know? So even when I wasn't working, for the red and black, or I didn't have an assignment for UGA athletics, I might've had a Grady assignment that had me doing something else, you know, and it's not a natural thing to necessarily be doing when you're at Georgia, but I'm, I'm grateful I did it, you know, because it it taught me how to have a work ethic and basically how to always be ready to go cover something, you know. And you were there at Georgia kind of in the dawn of social media of what it is today because Twitter was founded back in 06. It got pretty hot in 08. Uh, Instagram started in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, So how important is social media to you in the line of work that you're doing? And 
is your experience in content creation an advantage versus others in the field that are doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's everything. I really do. I mean, you can look at um, people who've made their careers off of the personality they're able to share on social media. And it's a requirement um, with my employer. I have to have a certain amount of tweets, certain amount of, uh, I have a work Facebook that uh, you're welcome to follow. But I share a lot of my work on there as well. And we have like a quota. I mean, they, they understand at a local, even a local news level, how important social media is. But even for me personally, I love Twitter. Like that's my, that's my sense of humor. That's how I operate. I love one-liners, uh, just reacting to things with like a little joke or a short observation. And I move on to the next thing. You know, I don't remember what I tweeted about like this morning. And that, that might be, you know, some of the high school concussions coming back to haunt me. But I don't, I don't remember everything I tweet out. It's just like an instant little, you know, type out a little joke or a little reaction to something. Do you wish Twitter, do you wish Twitter had an edit button or are you fine with Mm -hmm. it? I kind of do. I kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard a really good, I heard people debating that because one, on one hand, I can't remember who was talking about, it might've been Logan on 960, the ref, but, uh, on one hand they were saying no, because that is what you said. And it's kind of because people are pulling tweets as uh, newsworthy yeah. items. But then on the other hand, and I love this suggestion to have a tweet editable, if that's a word, it's yeah. hard to say for like a minute after it's sent, because there's so often that you might send one out mm-hmm. and then a minute or two later, you realize yeah. that you, the autocorrect messed it up and right. maybe you said boat instead of me or whatever. And it just, it's still the context is there, but you're kind of yeah. embarrassed because of how it's written. Yeah. I'm with you or like a typo or, or yeah, whatever. just a typo, not, not to change the yeah. context, but just a typo. I, I like what Facebook does where you can look at the edit history. It, right. Yeah. And it says edited on that. Right. And you can see like what they originally said. That's a good point. Yeah. Or maybe good. you get like, maybe it's like a coach's challenge. Like you get a, you only get a couple edits per day or something. That'd be good. How do you stay safe? And I mean this in employable. How do you stay safe on Twitter where you see so many people just, you know, almost lose their career over a dumb mm-hmm. tweet or something? I mean, I'll answer it for myself. I keep everything funny, you know, and yeah. not, I don't, I don't take any personal attacks. I might attack Auburn personally, um, like as a whole, you know, and make fun of how it's always everybody's second choice for school or something like that. I mean, Gus Malzahn is a little easy to make fun of. Right. Right. Even if you're an Auburn person. But I guess being in sports, you're not dealing with a lot of the, unless you, you know, write a in-depth editorial on something and then that's Mm -hmm. your own choice. But how do you stay to where you don't regret hitting that send button? Yeah, I think, it all comes back to my mindset of what I would put on the air. And that is like you were talking about earlier about you guys on this podcast are not ashamed to be homers for Georgia, right? And we're recording and can edit it. We're not live. That's true. Yeah. So that's the difference in Twitter. But my thing in local sports, and this is not what they teach you in journalism school. So journalism students, cover your ears. But as long as it's an Atlanta team, I'll make fun of anybody else. I'll make fun of the Saints. I'll make fun of uh, LeBron and the Lakers while the Hawks are playing them that night. I don't mind doing that. Now, if it's two teams in the market that I cover, 
I'm not going to make fun of Georgia Tech. I'm just not. I have relationships with those people because I cover them just like I cover Georgia. So I'm not going to make fun of them. Now, will I kind of give them a little elbow to the rib, even if it's Georgia? Yeah, I'm a little sarcastic. I try to be more witty than sarcastic because I heard someone say once that the difference between being witty and sarcastic is a dumb person can be sarcastic. You have to be smart to be witty. So I try to be witty. I try not to be sarcastic too much. But yeah, I mean, sometimes like you poke a little fun, like Jeff Collins outlawed red uh, when he took over at uh, Georgia Tech. So I made a joke about how like, oh, it's a good thing Atlanta United doesn't play there. That at Bobby Dodd anymore. (laughs) You know, that's as crazy as I'll get making fun of Georgia Tech because... Did anybody have a problem with that? No. Yeah. No. No one had a problem with that. You know, I'm not going to take any personal shots at anybody like that. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of like a theology, I guess, of what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. So yeah, I make, you know, I'll make a lot of jokes uh, on Twitter, but I won't do anything specifically personally to make fun of anybody that I cover directly. I completely subscribe yeah. to that. I, I like that way of thinking. I try. There's been times where I've deleted what I say. A lot of times, if I'm if I'm if I know I'm getting into the weeds yeah. on something, I'll let it sit there, and then kind of come back to it because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to draw attention to myself in a negative light. And it's what I preach to my kids. I'm like, look, this is always and forever. I mean, mm-hmm. people can screenshot it even if you delete it. Yep, and you've got to be careful. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's a a good way of thinking about it. So um, as we kind of get into the last bit, I've got some, just some quick questions for you. All right. But first thing I want to do is I'd love for you to give kind of a quick, concise prediction on what you think will happen with, and since the Braves are mid season, Mm -hmm. but as we go MLB with the Braves, a Falcons outlook, and it's quick because we're going to include a lot. Um, the Hawks as they're coming up to start in, in October. Okay. Um, Atlanta United as they keep going, and of course Georgia. And if because of your audience, if you need to no, don't mention Georgia Tech because the Georgia football podcast. But um, <laughs> but yeah, just just I've your, already hit my Georgia Tech. <laughs> yeah, limit. you hit your quota. So just to you know, <laughs> the Braves are okay. Yeah. Uh, we got the All Star break coming up. Just kind of what you see in the second half of the MLB season, okay. kind of in a concise way. If the Braves uh, sign another starting pitcher and trade, uh, I guess it would have to be a trade for both, for another reliever, I think they make the uh, NL championship. Against the Dodgers? Yep. And then it's all bets off? I think it's a coin toss if they make those moves. If not, it's the Dodgers all the way. I think there's just too big of a gap. Yeah. Do you, and then what about the All Star Game? Did I didn't see? I saw Freddie Freeman was voted in as starter at first base. Have Freddy, they announced uh, and who Acuna. else? Acuna and Acuna, yeah. And the reserves will be listed later. Yeah, and I would think Soroko will will make it. Anybody else? I, Austin I, Riley, I maybe? No, nah, I just I don't. The thing about the Braves, other than the the sluggers like Acuna and Freddie, it's kind of been like, and I mean this in the best way possible. It's been like a by committee. You know, uh, three weeks ago was Dansby Swanson. Uh, last weekend, at the time that we're recording this, it was uh, Josh Donaldson. You know, and that's the thing you need. You need to have right. people like that. I, I heard the other day that the Braves have actually scored eight more runs than the Dodgers have by this point in the year. 
but the Dodgers have given up almost 100 fewer runs. So that's why the pitching matters. But you do have the power hitters that I love. I, I can't tell you how much more fun it is to see the Braves winning this way. I mean, obviously I love when they have legendary arms like Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz like I saw growing up. But to see them putting the ball all over the yard and winning, it's pretty special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How they've had a couple of uh, games. Like I, w- I saw one of the Marlins were down four runs in the top of the ninth and yeah. come back and win. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're not cardiac yet. No, but they're no. just they're just winning late. They're winning you smart. Just, I think like more than half of their home runs have come in the seventh inning or later. Could be wrong on that, but they are scoring at a disgusting rate late in games. So uh, with Georgia football starting off, and gosh, what are, we are nine weeks yeah. from a Vanderbilt game. What what's a quick West Blankenship thought on the season? What are the most important games? What's maybe a, a slip up a game that you need to mm-hmm. to watch for, and then kind of an overall thought. I'm not asking for predictions yet because I still think that's a little too early. And with yeah. Holloman out, you know, needing receivers to step up. Yeah, what's well, kind of your thought on Georgia football? Yeah, un- unfortunately, I. I think the Holloman loss is one that they will miss sorely. And I don't even say that from a receiving standpoint. Um, if you look at two specific runs from DeAndre Swift last season, the one against uh, Auburn and the one against Kentucky, the two guys at the second level that were blocking for him, uh, forget about the offensive line. The offensive line is going to be money for Georgia all season. But you look at those two long runs specifically, Isaac Nada and Holloman were the two guys that were setting that edge for Swift to kind of coast through. And I know that they brought in the Kager or Kager kid from Miami, who kind of, I guess, has similar measurables as Holloman does. So I hope he likes to block, <laughs> you know. But I think missing that piece it could hurt Georgia in the running game more than people are really expecting it to. And it's unfortunate, man. Like, on a personal level, I, I really hate that Jeremiah made that mistake, obviously. From all accounts, you know, I've spoken with him a few times. Like, people make mistakes, man, but you cannot make that mistake. Right. You just can't do it. And Kirby did the right thing. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you just can't, you can't do it. And uh, he's a nice guy great family from what i've heard his mom is very his mom's like a fan favorite on sure um not to bring her into this i I really don't want to do that but um it's just an unfortunate thing it's it's unfortunate for him i'm sure georgia will do everything it can to help him in his next steps it just won't be on their team you know and um obviously it hurts for georgia as well and I, i thought about it this way if you think about the day when every player that declared for the NFL draft declared for the NFL draft for Georgia, Mecole, Ridley, um, and Nada, and Holyfield, if you go back to that day and you find out that day that Holloman won't be on the team either, think about how catastrophic that is. Yeah, We've kind of been separated from that by a few months now. And I think it's minimizing the way people might feel about losing Holloman because they look at the depth and they look at the way Georgia's recruited at every position, which they have. Um, But this is a critical year for Jake Fromm to 
have guys that could step up and already know the system. And you had that in Holloman. And now you don't. You know, you had Tyler Simmons, but he had, what, like nine receptions last year? Yeah. Um, and then Robertson, who didn't do much after the Austin P game. Right. Um, yeah, I mean. All, I think it was because of injury, but still. Yeah, all reports are that he's, like, gotten into the weight room and he's gotten bigger and he can't get much faster. Right. But he's gotten bigger. Um, so maybe that's the answer, you know. Maybe someone will step up. There, there. are bodies there. It's just yeah. lack of experience. It's, it is. It's, it's lack of experience. It, it totally is. So what's the, what's the schedule look like to you? What are, what's the game that yeah. is kind of on your radar? So all of that being said, sure. I love the way Georgia's schedule sets up. It's perfect for them. You open with Vandy, Murray State. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me. It's behind you. Oh, it is. <laughs> My son wrote it on the wall. So you got Arkansas State before you got Notre Dame. Okay. Notre Dame's the fourth game of the year. All right. So you have you have those three games to start this season. And you have the two bye weeks this year, which mm-hmm. I think is also big. I expect Georgia to handle obviously their first three weeks of the schedule. And then Notre Dame coming into Athens, I don't think they've played in any any environment like this one. Like the way Sanford Stadium will be that night. You know, say what you will about Athens, Georgia not being a menacing place to play it's no death valley Uh, i won't say that it is but georgia fans show up for games like that one and i expect that place to be absolutely nuts i really don't know if notre dame is has the experience to play in a place like that and play to the caliber that i expect georgia to be playing at this season yeah it comes at a great time because when we went up there it was the second game Right. The season. So it was still kind of Fromm feeling making out. his first start. First start. I, mean, I forgot about that. Come yeah. on, dude. That, like, that was, that's a lot to put on anybody's plate. So. Yeah, just complete nail biter. So what's the, what's the, the game that fans should be scared of on Georgia's schedule? I want to say Florida. I think that the offseason chatter sure. has been a little outrageous with Florida fans trying to kind of Bait, uh, are they almost baiting they're, Georgia they're baiting fans? Baiting Georgia. You know, the other day you had the kid that took the Gator photo with Herschel. You know, like they're doing everything they can on social media to kind of get under Georgia's skin because Mullen hasn't at Mississippi State or Florida in the time that Kirby's been at Georgia. And obviously, the talent level is what it is. It's really easy to make fun of every player that's leaving Florida right now and transferring. And the talent gap is wider than it's probably ever been as far as recruiting goes but we've seen some really weird things happen in jacksonville in years where they shouldn't have and um i think the the attitude that mullen has for the players that buy into it it's the kind of chippiness that a team like georgia doesn't need to have to deal with you know and by that point in the season should be undefeated. Yeah. Right? You got a bye week after that. You got a bye week before Florida. Yeah, because my son a messed bi- that up. Okay. Um, so you got to Missouri coming in on the 9th, I think, and then you go to Auburn, and then you've got Texas A&M the week before Georgia Tech. Okay. So, you know, people might laugh at that uh, because the talent gap is what it is, but I really do think that um, – just the, the chippiness and the level to which Florida players will go all out in that game when Georgia obviously will have a lot riding on it by that point in the year. 
you have a lot of players on that Florida team that um, could potentially never beat Georgia. I think it's it's one to watch for. I'm not predicting huge things for Florida this season, but Mullen, you know, a rise up game basically yeah, he, for them. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, whether Georgia fans want to admit that or not, he's kind of the opposite of what Kirby is and what Saban's been. Where you just recruit, recruit, recruit. Mullen schematically, I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and I hate to cut the Georgia conversation short, but since I've set up the fact that I'd like for you to kind of predict what's going to happen, all the Atlanta sports in Georgia, let's then move to MLS and you can spend a minute on this, but just to kind of, to include that they're kind of halfway through, they're playing today. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not where they were last year, but how do you see, you think they'll be able to defend their championship? I think they should be able to, it's just a matter of, can they do it? You know, before we hit this international break, uh, United was playing the kind of ball that the new manager, Frank DeBoer, wanted them to play. A lot of defense, not as many goals, but they're finally kind of hitting the stride that he's wanted them to. I just think in any sport, it's so difficult to repeat. And you have the added variable now of a new coach. I don't see them repeating this year as MLS champions. I have enjoyed the rivalry that's formed with the New York Red Bulls watching yeah. those two teams go at it kind of like how they have had one with Orlando uh-huh. who still has never beat them um, right which is kind of a fun no, thing that, that is fun <laughs> you, but you can really see the chippiness come along when they played uh, New York because that's who they played in the championship round last year yeah and I just think that's a cool rivalry that's that's forming so um they just had the NBA draft the Hawks we were talking before we started recording it's not often that you are pleased with the Hawks draft and mm-hmm. with them getting um, the kid from Virginia Hunter and then Cam Reddish. Oh yeah. Also and CC man. Yeah. So how do you feel like they'll fit in with Trey young and Jason Collins and what they're building uh, with Atlanta? Yeah. It's amazing when you have a professional franchise draft from the strongest conference in college, which I wish I could say the same about the Falcons doing that year <laughs> in and year Goodness, out. Yeah. Um, they take an LSU player. Seems like the, yeah, the Falcons take Florida. an LSU player, yeah. Florida player every year. But no, uh, Travis Schlenk is the strongest general manager in the Atlanta market. He has hit on... Now, we don't know if he'll hit on these two yet um, until we see him play. But for the time being, just the trades he's able to make, he, he just makes the timeliest of moves. And he can pick... like strong like stud players at 19 which he's done two years in a row now with Herter and John Collins and picking Trey Young you know he has the experience from the Warriors saw the blueprint of how to build there and then this year having two picks in the top 10 and doing what he did with them and and not being satisfied with eight and ten he made the the package with uh, New Orleans who made the trade with the Lakers I mean it's crazy how the NBA, it's so centered on what happens in the offseason. And that just is what it is. But I love the way that Schlank has made the most of that in his short time with the Hawks. And I think they could, they should be contending for first, maybe second round in the, in the postseason this season. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. So no lottery pick next year. If things Which go would to be a plan. good thing. Yeah. Now next year... The thing to watch for them next year will be the uh, salary cap space 
and their potential to get one of these max free agents to come to Atlanta. That's something that Atlanta is not typically in the running for, for whatever reason. Not able to lure those caliber players, Kevin Durant, uh, those kinds of guys, Anthony Davis, to Atlanta. I think they have a pretty good thing going. I think they should be able, with Trey Young too, having a young face like that that's living up to the hype, and John Collins, uh, having a couple guys like that on the team that are exciting, brand names, household names, it can't hurt when you're trying to bring in a big name like that in the offseason. And then transitioning finally to uh, Dan Quinn and his Atlanta Falcons. A yeah. um, little bit frustrating, uh, or actually a lot frustrating. They yeah. did have some injuries last year. But, uh, you know, Matt Ryan's not getting any younger. And um, no. you hope that he's delivering some of the pieces or, you know, Dimitrov is they're delivering yep. the pieces to put around him. I, I, too, I think a lot of Georgia fans are frustrated when, you know, they're drafting, even in the third round or something. Yeah. And some Georgia or bonafide SEC player sitting there, and they go with some guy out of Illinois State or something like that. It's wild, isn't it? It is. And they've got two games I noticed on NBC. So will you be and they're they're both at home. I think they're playing the Eagles and yeah. the Saints on your network. Yeah, will that you, always will helps. Do you have an extra role that that evening? Like maybe a pregame or uh, sometimes we do. It, it definitely doesn't hurt as far as traveling goes. Like we had um, the season opener at the Eagles this past season, and because it was on NBC, it made more sense for us to go. Uh, because the game was already going to be on our air, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll go. We'll go pretty heavy on covering those those two. So, how do you think the season will kind of turn out? I know it's mm-hmm. a long one. I did notice they have another NBC game. They're playing on August 1st against the Broncos for the, uh, the, the Hall, of Fame Hall of Fame game. Game. So there's that gives them five preseason games, where most teams get four. I wonder right. if that's a blessing or a curse. But how do you think all of that? plays into yeah. uh, their, their outlook or your outlook on their season? Uh, as far as the preseason goes, I never, ever, with a capital N, buy into preseason one way or another. But it can't hurt when you're breaking in a new offensive coordinator and new defensive coordinator who also happens to be your head coach. So it's good to kind of get that dress rehearsal in a game so everyone can be on the same page there. I love... Quinn bringing in, whether he did it or Dimitrov slash Arthur Blank, whoever made the decision to bring Dirk Cutter in as the offensive coordinator, I think that's just a, a slam dunk hire at, at that opening that they needed. It's, it's so good to actually have a bona fide offensive coordinator, NFL offensive coordinator, not Steve Sarkeesian. I know that he and Quinn had history and um, they they had time working together in the past but bringing in a guy like Dirk Cutter who not only has coordinated at the level he's been a head coach at the level but he's not a huge ego a lot of times uh, I, I spoke with George Foster about this a few weeks ago a lot of times you bring in a former head coach to be a coordinator and they butt heads with the head coach because they can't they can't swallow that pill of not being the head in command. But Cutter is not that kind of guy. I think he is a solid coordinator. He has the familiarity with Matt Ryan because he coordinated him before when he was a Falcon. And then you also have Malarkey, Mike Malarkey, who will be the tight ends coach, also a former Falcons offensive coordinator. They both had strong seasons with Matt Ryan, both had formative years 
in Matt Ryan's career. And now Matt Ryan knows what works. He knows what doesn't work and he can communicate that to them. So I think you should have a pretty refined product on offense and you've invested in protecting Matt Ryan through the draft and through free agency uh, at the interior of the offensive line and at the tackle. So that's huge for Matt. Um, It's about time they did it, to be quite honest. I wish they didn't wait until he took the most sacks that he has in his career. And it's not good when that happens as you get older because those hits pile up. They become worse and worse on you. So, and I guess Freeman will be back. Freeman will be back. Fully healthy. Yeah, and the short uh, exposure I've had towards their uh, preseason work, mini camp, OTAs and everything, just in uh, helmets and shorts and uh, not even shoulder pads. But I like what Cutter is bringing to the Falcons offense, actually using the skill players that they have in a diverse way. With Freeman being back, definitely helps, but... You also have Julio, Sanu, and Ridley. And those guys are just, they're dynamite. You can't cover all three of them. You just can't. Um, so I, I like the Falcons' chances offensively. Defensively, I'm, I'm concerned, to be quite honest. Well, that's kind of what lost them a lot yeah. of games last year. Remember that Cowboys game, the Bengals yep. game? You know, two wins right there they could have had. Yeah, and it's all on your pass rush. That's arguably the most important thing in the NFL now because it's like every team is is throwing it 40 times a game almost, you know. And if you don't have guys that consistently can get back there and take down a quarterback, which the Falcons have not shown that they're able to do. You don't think Vic Beasley can uh, get back in the the shape he was in a couple years ago? This is is a make-or-break year for Dan Quinn and the fact that he has taken over the defense entirely – tells me that he knows it is. He has to own it, whether it succeeds or doesn't. Yeah, And it's on him to get Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley back there, whatever it takes. You know, Whether it's a new move, it's uh, looking for certain matchups. He's been putting them at linebacker to try and confuse the pre-snap reads of the quarterbacks, kind of put them in this, not the amoeba defense that the Chiefs mm-hmm. did a few years ago, which is pretty crazy, but they'll put them out and make them look like linebackers, you know? So whatever it takes, it is, uh, it's on Dan Quinn to make that position group more effective. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Falcons are going to be competing for a playoff spot this year. Um, I don't know about my fantasy team, but, uh, <laughs> but my, my kids run my fantasy team uh, now. I've kind of handed that off. Um, any Falcons receiver, I think, is a safe pick. Maybe well, Julio wouldn't have been last year. He didn't score a touchdown he never, until yeah, he the Redskins He doesn't bring game. in touchdowns. He doesn't yeah. bring in touchdowns. I think I saw that was on your reel. You, you made some comment yeah. about Julio scoring his first touchdown to a guy. You remember what you said there? I can't remember. I watched it about three oh, hours oh, ago. Oh, when he played, uh, they were playing Dallas. That was at Dallas? Yeah. 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 I don't remember what I said specifically. It was clever, and it was on your reel. Yeah. So you can go watch it. Go West check Blankenship. it out. <laughs> there we go. So what we'll do now is we'll get into uh, just some quick questions. All right. Quick answers. Just uh, They're pretty related to what we've been talking about today. But something I don't have down on this, but it kind of popped up into my head while we were talking about the Falcons. Miko Hardman, is he, is he just the perfect spot for the Chiefs right there? I mean, Man. is he, is he going to set the world on fire, returning kicks like he did here at Georgia? So draft night for 
Miko. Oh, you covered that. You and, were there with him. Everything that happened with Tyree Kill mm-hmm. leading up to it. No one benefited from that more than Miko Hardman. And I was, yeah, I was, I was with him in uh, his family's hotel room in Atlanta, and they were just kind of sitting there on pins and needles. And Miko is as confident a guy as it as it comes. He's not a cocky kid, but he's confident in himself, and he should be. I mean, he lightning fast. He's only gotten better as a wide receiver, but that was the big question mark. Is he going to be an NFL caliber wide receiver right away? And he's still putting in a lot of work to become that. But I didn't know to what level NFL teams would buy into that. He was very confident that night, second round night, that he was going to go that night. It was second and third round, I believe. Mm -hmm. He was very confident that he was going to go that night. For me, it was important that he would go earlier in the night than later because we wanted to have it in our in our shows. You know, we wanted to have it in our 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock shows. So I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm texting my friends. I'm like, I'm hanging out with Nicole. I don't know if he's going to go as high as he thinks he is. You know, I, I think he could, but that, that the NFL draft is such a crapshoot. You never are guaranteed that guys go where, where they should go. So I'm sitting there wondering. Nicole's just kind of sitting there by himself. And all of a sudden, I'm just kind of looking through my camera uh, viewfinder at him. He's checking his phone, like erratically checking his phone. Like he's freaking out almost like to the level where he's picking his phone up, looking at it and putting it back down, like nervously almost. And he puts his phone down. And if you watch the video, people think that his phone was not on loud, but it was. I mean, you, you could hear the ringtone, but it almost looks like he just happened to see the phone ringing and he doesn't jump up off the couch, but he makes a quick move, uh, which he's good at. He picks up the phone and that moment I know it's, it's the chiefs cause I know they're, they're up and I just hear him say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's like those moments that you see that you can't really grasp how powerful and moving they are until you see them like, playing out directly in front of you. It was so surreal, man. Cause that's a life changing phone call. And to answer your question, I think he's going to be lightning in a bottle for Kansas city this year. I, I really do expect big things in that offense. The tough thing about repeating to the level that the chiefs can this season is, well, now everyone has an off season to kind of diagnose and figure out what makes Patrick Mahomes so good and Andy Reid's system? Well, you theoretically lost an ingredient, right? Yeah, with Hill. With Hill. But now you have Hardman. And Hill is only serving, reportedly, a four-game suspension. So you're saying they could have both of them? They could have both of them. Wow. So you could once again have the playmakers and the level of skill and a level of speed that you had last season. Maybe they'll do one of those plays that everybody ran in high school where you do a reverse on the kickoff. You know, one guy catches it and then you do yeah, a reverse. I mean, you, you could do anything with, with me, Cole, back there, man. As long as he is consistently able to catch the ball. Right. Well, yeah, that, Georgia fans. We, he came on strong last year, and that's yeah. probably why he moved up in the draft. But uh, I remember the Notre Dame game. He dropped a couple oh, um, yeah. Early in yeah. that game that would have gone for big yardage. Um, yeah, if y'all haven't seen 
Wes's, uh, I, I would call it a mini documentary that he did on Meikle's draft night. It's really worth watching because as Georgia fans, you're rooting for Georgia players. That's why we're always frustrated when the Falcons just refuse to draft him, it seems yeah. like. But it's really one of those feel-good moments, and we'll definitely have you pulling for the Chiefs if you're not already on games that they're not mm-hmm. playing the Falcons um, this fall. So now what we'll do is we'll get to my teased uh, line of questioning where um, you can just answer the questions as, as quickly as you want right. or as long Rapid as Rapid fire? Want. Yeah, yeah, basically like that. Uh, we kind of already covered this, but maybe, maybe I'll rephrase it. Instead All of right. saying, do you have one, say, if you had one, what would your catchphrase be when you're either reporting or especially if you're, do, if you're the play-by-play or color analyst? Okay, uh, I would say... This is something I just say, okay? So it's going to be kind of weird without any context. But I just say, oh, mama. I just say that a lot What if something's going wrong. Yeah, I've heard that before when you said it. I drop, like if I drop something. Like if somebody or, like like burns past someone on the end, yeah. like on an end around or something like yeah. that. And that's more of like an instant reaction. Sure. I think if I was doing highlights and I said that, it would probably sound a little... But if you were doing play-by-play... But if something. I was like, yeah, play-by-play in a booth or something, I'd probably say that. Okay. What is your, we've already covered this. What is your favorite social media platform? It's Twitter. What's your second favorite? Would it be Instagram? Uh, yeah, it would be Instagram. I love Instagram TV now because I've kind of been getting you, into You uh, and three other people are yeah. the people watching IGTV. Right. But I like how you can put the preview on your actual feed. Right. And, and you've done like, a couple of uh, things. Yeah. Like I remember during uh, the U.S. Open, you were right. doing some stuff about Gary Woodland, like almost man on the right. street, or actually not man on the street, man in your backyard type yeah. stuff. No, I, I think it's cool, man, because like I'll, I'll shoot it for Twitter, right? Well, you know, one thing I noticed, you timed that to end exactly at 2 minutes right. and 20 seconds. Yeah. How did, you, did you have that written or did you just have that internal clock? I, no, I just have the... That's because you're on TV and you know when to hit that mark. that IC, man. <laughs> internal clock. That's but, good. Uh, but yeah, so I do it for Twitter and then I'll kind of format it and make the video, whatever, nerdy, you know, fit it to the frame of Instagram TV and I'll put it on there too. So I like that. Have you thought about editing it in a 9 by 16 format so it fills the screen completely? We're really going to lose some listeners here. <laughs> we can about, get into Premiere Pro if you screen, want to. Screen yeah. formatting. But yeah, I do that. That's exactly what I do. Um, any thoughts on starting a proper vlog on YouTube or something like that? Yeah, man, I, I really think about it a lot. And um, I think it's just... Is it a matter of time? Just I, I think so. And I, th- I think it's... Uh, I've been on vacation, but kind of doing some of those like storytelling. You know, I, I like the perspective I kind of have on things. Just adding like weird uh, anecdotes into my take, whether it was the U.S. Open you know, when I was in Macon, I, I did like highlights that were like based on Star Wars, like really just <laughs> nice. weird, weird stuff like that, but also relevant, I guess. Yeah, I, I would love to actually be able to put more of my voice out there, which I don't necessarily always get to do in a, in a quick sports cast. Yeah, I think you'd be good at it. I'm a big purveyor of YouTube and uh, yeah. I put a couple of videos on there myself. Who is or who has been your toughest interview like not not like a bad interview but just yeah, like yeah. man that was a tough one <laughs> um well it was, it was one recently that actually like the quote got picked up but no one knows that i asked the question which i guess i it wasn't a bad question but it was the first time i'd met josh donaldson and 
I, I wasn't at spring training. I didn't go this year. This is the first time I met him in the Braves clubhouse. And uh, it was like a scrum. There were probably like 10 other reporters around. And I think he's a fascinating personality that the Braves clubhouse hasn't always had. Okay. So I was asking more so personally, what can you bring to the Braves clubhouse? Well, I didn't say personally. I just said, what can you specifically bring to the Braves clubhouse? Well, he kind of laughed. He just goes, have you seen the back of my baseball card? (laughs) And he kind of like looks at every other reporter like, who's this guy? You know, right. But, you know, that was like a tough moment. Right. Because sometimes you get those kind of you get you're going to get an answer like that when you ask a question like that. Some guys are going to play ball with you a little bit more, but that was probably my tough. That was one of my tougher that. moments. Yeah. You know, where I, Is that where like, you're not even worried about a follow up? You just kind of take like, your medicine and just. Was, yeah, totally. I was not. I was not going to be that guy that's like, well, let me clarify. Right. You know, because if you do that, you're just, you're digging your your grave a little bit deeper. And the baseball beat writers are some of the toughest. They are like sure. they're they're in there. They are. 80, uh, however many home games, 81 home games, they're there. Like Dave O'Brien uh-huh. with the Athletic, like he goes to every game. Wow. You know, you can't compete with that. So I, it's just part of it. You, you just kind of deal with it. And, and I went over and talked to him afterwards and shook his hand. He's like, I was just giving you a hard time, you know. So sometimes you just have to deal with that. And yeah. then I, I went up to him and I was like, you know, I wasn't going to let my only interaction be that mm-hmm. either. And I actually had a, a few other media members like approach me afterwards or reach out to me on Twitter and be like, you didn't ask a bad question. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't worried about it, but it's always good when other people, even your competitors sometimes uh, have your back That's in a good. moment like that. That's good. So you've covered a lot of sporting events. We talked about the Rose Bowl and you've been to Philly to cover the Falcons and yep. probably many other places. What's I, a sporting... Oh, go ahead. I will say Philly fans get a bad rap. Really? They were coming off a Super Bowl winning season, mm-hmm. all right? So I was like a little wary, okay? I was a little – I'd just seen Sal Palantonio walk through the aisles of RVs, you know, and he got like a standing ovation because they love him up in Philly. And I was doing everything I could to not let these people know that I was from Atlanta. But my producers wanted me to do a shot with them. They wanted me to do a report with them. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it, and I hope they don't throw batteries at me, you know? But I think the fact that they had won the Super Bowl and it was like the night oh, yeah. where they celebrate it, they were like, they were giving me some hell, but they were also cool. They were hammered, drunk. <laughs> but that like one guy was like, you're from Atlanta? Come here. And he gives me a flaming hot steak off of their grill and he just hands it to me. So I'm like, all right, this hurts, but thank you. You know, this is the best pre. Like you're holding the yeah, steak. It's like a like a perfectly grilled steak. You know, I'm like, this is hospitality right here. You know, people people do not expect Eagles fans to be that friendly. And I'll just say, for at least that night, they were not awful. But I do have friends that went up there the previous postseason that would say differently. You know, uh, Bryce Harper might disagree with your comment the way he's oh, been yeah. playing. I'm sure he's going to be getting it he's had by it them. What's the sporting event you would like to cover? Like maybe the Olympics, yeah. I guess it's happening next year, and y'all are the Olympic channel. And Yeah. No, that would be amazing. 
Yeah, from like an international perspective, I, I, it would be hard to top the Olympics. You know, Will was in Sochi for two weeks or maybe three weeks, and yeah. he said that he never wants to go back to Russia ever again. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I think next year it's in Japan. It's Isn't in that Japan. Right? I'd That'd love to cool. go to Japan. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah man. So is that your answer that I just gave you? Did I put words in your mouth? The answer you gave me, yes. My answer would be, uh, I'd love to cover a World Series, man. Yeah, that's true. You know, and the only way that happens is if, right now, is if the Braves make it, so. Maybe up in uh, Minnesota again. Oh, that'd be something, huh? The ghost of Kent Herbeck yeah. and Ron Gant, who, Ron Gant, also a media guy now. That's the craziest Ron, thing to me. Ron lives the good life, man. Yeah. He's got, like, the morning show, and he's like a... He's he's the morning show guy, you know. Yeah, I tell my kids, I'm like that guy used to play for the Braves. They're like, what? And then I have to pull up. But luckily, you can pull up highlights on. And, yeah. You know, my kids are like, wow, he's good. All right, getting back to Twitter, what's your favorite or go to GIF on Twitter? Oh man, this is tough. This is a tough one. Um, really, anything from The Office? Sure. The Office or Parks and Rec with Ron Swanson? Yeah. I mean, those two shows, I don't even know if they intentionally did it, but they just have so many of those like gifable, gifable. I'm not going to sit here and debate that. <laughs> they have so many of those moments, though. Like the other day, um, I did the one with, with Kevin dropping the chili. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, when Net, uh, Netflix tweeted about how The Office is going to leave Netflix in a couple of years. And I just quote tweeted, is that not the greatest feature now that you can quote tweet? Oh, I love that. With yeah. A gif, gif. Uh, so I did that with Kevin dropping the chili, you know, and that's an instant, instant, like, boom. Someone's I need to show like you how you can make your own gifts and not put them on GIF. You know, you can upload them to Giphy, yeah. but I make my own with Premiere Pro and uh, Photoshop. Okay. So I, since you're I've, I've versed in that, that's, I've, I've done a few of those. I haven't done it lately, but I was doing a countdown on our waiting since last Saturday Twitter, it just got too laborious with yeah. trying to find time and, and research and everything, but I'll get back to it. But yeah, make your own gift on Twitter and then have a repository of all these. Oh, gifts. We have a funny one of Tony um, during the Georgia, Missouri fight and basketball from a couple years back where he's oh, yeah. on the feed and uh-huh. he's saying no. And we, we tweet that out every now and then. That's a good one, but great, I digress. Great call from uh, Matt Stewart, who comes on to 11 Alive pretty often. He's doing the uh, commentary for that game, and he just has this call that we quote a lot in the office. He just goes, and now the coaches are going after it. Just this great moment, man, like Georgia basketball of all teams getting in a right. fight, you know? And since you mentioned it, not to have a non-sequitur later, Georgia basketball. We didn't do that on the preview. Yeah, Real yeah. quick, 30 seconds on the Ant-Man and Tom Crean oh. in his second year. You, you're you bullish on them? Ant-Man is the real deal. He is the guy that Georgia basketball has been waiting on for a long time. And I commend Tom Crean for leveraging the players that he has in his past. For uh, Ant-Man, for Anthony Edwards, it was Dwayne Wade, right? But, I mean, he, he plays it. He plays that game, and, and it works. Anthony Edwards is all dog. I mean, he's on campus now, yeah. so he's past the point of no return. He's That's going to be fun getting into yeah. as it gets closer. I, I cannot wait to see that kid play because I saw him play at the McDonald's All-American game, and these are the best players in the country, and I do think they, they mail it in a little bit. It's kind of like the NBA All-Star game. They're not going full speed. But seeing their practices is another thing. And uh, 
it's going to be, however long he stays at Georgia, it's going to be a special time. Yeah, I bet that Stegmania that I went to last year where it was maybe a quarter full, yeah. it would probably be full for uh, for this year. And that'll Dude, probably you have, happen. You in, just, you just have, I know this is not a video, but you had just had a buck run through your backyard. We've got about five deer a day yeah. coming through here, and they're getting big. We've seen everything from Bambies to yeah. six-point bucks. That was a big one. Yeah. That was a big one, man. The funny thing is across the street, we got this fence that goes for about a quarter of a mile, and they, you see them like almost – like wondering how am I going to get over this thing and yeah. they just run alongside it. So I'm surprised a car hasn't yeah, center cut one so far, but, uh, Stay yeah, safe. A lot of deer out here in, yeah. uh, in Oconee. All right. So, uh, did the predictions on Georgia. Oh, so do you want to give just, are you, are you ready to, in this time of year to you talk give a prediction? No, 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 no. A prediction. Just for... like a, a, a record prediction yeah. or something. All right. Like I said, I, I, to go back to the game that I think will be a struggle or the one to watch. I don't necessarily think it'll be a struggle, but it's the one to watch is Florida and Jacksonville. I know that Texas A&M is the big one on the schedule. Jimbo is really doing a lot of uh, similar things. I think that Kirby did bring in a, a good caliber of recruiting to the state of Texas. That's a dangerous combination, but I think it's a little too early for Georgia to worry about them just yet being on the schedule. I think the timing works out well, uh, big picture. And I think on a micro level, Texas A&M works out well for timing on Georgia's schedule because they have to run the gauntlet of the SEC West. And you have Texas A&M coming in to Athens late in the season. I really do think Georgia should go undefeated this year. That is the bar. They have to. Because if they don't, they're not going to make the playoffs because I hate to say it, but I think without the depth at wide receiver, it's just going to take too long for Georgia to find their feet to go toe to toe with Alabama. I mean, if they do play Alabama in the SEC championship again, I just don't see how they're going to beat them. And maybe I've just seen it happen too many times. Right. right. Um, but you have to have like levels and levels and levels of players at every position. And Georgia's wide receiving core is, is really a worry for me um, with Holloman. After, it's not just losing Holloman. It's losing the guys that they lost to the draft. If they can go undefeated, though, it won't matter if they lose to Alabama. Because they'll have the quality wins against A&M and Notre Dame. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, don't, you, you cannot have the trip up that you had against LSU. But, yeah, man, I, I really do. I think uh, one way or another – Georgia will be back in the playoffs this year. I like it. Yep. Uh, last couple questions for you. The best media guys or gals who we watch, who are the best ones like in person? Like, you know, you hear the stories about yeah. Reese Davis just being the most <laughs> gentlemanly kind of guy. Yeah, I met Reese one time. Uh, Reese is a really nice dude. The craziest thing, though, that interaction that I've ever had, it's almost like, have you heard the Bill Murray stories? Where people say that they like Bill Murray will just like show up, at show some, up right. at like a wedding. Sure, or yeah, I've heard this. And he'll like have a beer with somebody, and then he'll like disappear. You know, there's like an right. entire documentary about it, right, on Netflix. Um, Sal Palantonio, who I just was talking about earlier, before the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm standing in a tunnel at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, waiting for the Patriots to start taking the field. I'll, the shot I was waiting for was Sony Michelle to walk out onto the field to tweet it 
have Georgia fans go nuts because they are the most rabid fan base. No matter what a Georgia player does, good or bad, mostly good, if you tweet it out, Instagram it, Facebook it, whatever, you can count on the Georgia following to make it go viral. So I'm waiting on Sony to come out so I can, you know, have a few likes and retweets or whatever. I see uh, Chris Berman is just standing outside of the Patriots locker room. And I'm just kind of standing there talking to my boss, just kind of laughing about like this figure because he's transcended sports. Sure. He's transcended sports like him media. Or not. And Sal Palantonio comes up to me. Okay. He doesn't know who I am. I'm wearing a suit and I have like a mic in my hand. So I guess he can kind of, or something tipped him off that I worked in broadcast, but he just kind of comes up and talks to me. He's like, that guy right there is a legend, huh? I'm like, yeah, he he is Sal. (laughs) And I shake his hand, you know, and, uh, we just start talking. He's like, yeah, I saw, saw some of your work you did earlier this week. You did, you're doing a good job. I'm like, Oh, that's nice. Appreciate it, Sal. And I, I do not share that to humble brag at all, but it did mean a lot to me as a young broadcaster to, A, know that they're watching to see what we're doing, but also B, to like, that was a long week. That's a, that's a lot of work, you know, that's not even glamorous stuff. It's like hours and hours in a windowless room in a hotel hoping you can talk to Tom Brady, you know, and get a sound bite for the day, you know. So it's a lot of hours, not much sleep. And to have someone that is as good at what he does as Sal to kind of come up, it's like the most random person. I never would have expected that my answer to that question would be Sal Palantino. Right, no, I wouldn't have predicted that either. Um, but yeah, man, just came up to me and started uh, started chatting, you know? That's awesome. You, you expect a guy like that to have a big ego or not give a guy like me the time of day, and that was really, really neat. So to uh, follow up on that, who would be your recommendation of the best follow on Twitter? Like if, if someone were asking me, I'd say that Rex Chapman Twitter where he does the blocker charge with the yeah, tweets yeah. out videos. I don't think it's the Rex Chapman that played for the Hornets back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I mean, I find myself chuckling whenever I scroll through and see the latest cat kicking yeah. a duck video that I saw that this morning. Um, on Twitter. So who would be your best follow maybe to give you either information or a good laugh? All right. Uh, good information. I'll start there because I was just thinking about this the other day. For all the Braves fans, if you don't already follow uh, Paul Bird, who does uh, work right. for Fox Sports. Forward pitcher. Yep. I love how Paul gives a great just behind the scenes look at everything because he's at it most every game, whether it's like a, a dugout reaction or like pregame workouts that uh, Ron Washington's doing with Ozzy Albies. If you're a Braves fan, like that is some really cool stuff to follow along with. And then uh, the best one for a laugh. Um, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure, man. But like the the PFT commenter for Barstool that just sends out tweets as if he's like a typo. Uh, written. And what commentary. does PFT stand for? Uh, Pro Football Talk. Okay. Yeah. He's just. It's like a satire account. Sure. But uh. But uh, it always makes. Just me makes laugh. you makes you chuckle when yeah. it comes I mean, when you come across it. The guy is an absolute moron. Mm-hmm. But that's his genius. I, I've always said like the funniest people know how to tell the worst jokes. 
because they know what won't make someone laugh just as well as they know what will. And this guy, like, if you're not in on the joke, you think he's just a buffoon. But if you're in on it, like, he just troll, he'll just call out anybody. Obviously calls out Goodell. All the Barstool guys hate Roger Goodell. But, yeah, I, I love anything, any of those satire type accounts like that. And then the last question, I had to get it in because it's kind of what I'm known for on this uh, podcast. Yeah. Georgia black jerseys, you a fan, you think it should be worn once a year, never, maybe whenever yeah. Kirby feels like it, because I'm, I'm a fanboy of uh, alternate uniforms. However, yeah. I have matured realizing that Georgia's uniform is perfect as it is it, with it the is. red and the whites for the aways. But I do think, and Logan Booker and I get into this on, on Twitter, we, we both agree, it should be worn for a late season Missouri, yep. Kentucky, maybe a Mississippi State home game that yep. has to be after 4 p.m. And then okay. if Kirby chooses not to do it, so be it, because it's Kirby's decision. So what are so, your thoughts on that? Right now, they are wearing the black jerseys in the most important game Kirby plays, and that is recruiting. They wear it all the time when they bring in a new kid to recruit. So I'll give him that. He understands the power of how good they look, Right. But yeah, I do think they should wear them more often. And a look that I think would be a great tribute, whether it's an anniversary, some sort of anniversary, Georgia originally wore a uniform that was a black jersey with a silver helmet. I think that would look so cool. They look like the Raiders, you know? Is that pre-Dooley? Because I think I've yeah. seen that. They yeah. didn't even have a logo it's on like it. It's like Frank Sinkwich, I think. Sure. That era, you know? It's like what the Falcons do with that black jersey. And yeah, man. I think that would look sharp and i'd love to see him do it whether they do the silver helmets or not that would be my recommendation if i were in control of it but i'm not but um either that or i'd love to see a throwback man like to bring back kind of like the block numbers that they wore until With the uh, stars on the back of the helmet 2013 something like that man like old school is cool sure you know and you bring back some of those like even the um the ones that like Kirby wore when he was playing that kind of have that like weird shadow behind them. I could talk about uniforms for a long time. But, <laughs> we could do a complete but, uh, new podcast. But on yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about it, man. And uh, yes, black jerseys need to happen more often. You know, I thought one of the best looks was the 1998 Outback Bowl, January 1, 98, when um, Mike Bobo and Heinz Ward, Brandon Talbert, yeah. they played against uh, Ron Dane in Wisconsin. They wore white jerseys and black pants black pants with the red helmet and it was just a subtle change but yeah still to this day it stands out as like a really good look and i think that's really one of the only times they ever wore that a lot of georgia fans want them to bring back the red pants I'm yeah not, i've heard that i'm not so crazy I, I thought they looked okay yeah i think people really would rather see true silver britches but i read something that the material is a little yeah. bit heavier and it, they're worried it might, once it got wet or sweaty, it yeah. might slow them down, which, hey, if it if it impacts performance on the field, just keep I, what they got. I, I believe in that. I, I think uh, maybe I'm a total, like, water carrier for Nike. But the first several years of the playoffs, this past playoffs was the first time that all four schools weren't Nike. Hmm. The first, like, several playoffs, every school is a Nike school. Notre Dame was the first non-Nike school. Which is you know, yeah, maybe that's something, something I hadn't thought about that. So, yeah. so you're saying Tennessee has no chance because I think they're like Adidas and, and Tech is Rydell or something like that. Tech just uh, Tech just jumped back to Adidas, which is good for them. 
because Russell was that's painful, man. A, a Power Five school should not. I'm sorry if you work for Russell. I love Russell brand uh, like sweatpants and stuff. Sure, but you shouldn't. That shouldn't be your like college uh, sponsorship. I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Wes, uh, I think we could probably talk for another two hours on, and we could we could do a yeah, an expose on college uniforms and what looks good and what doesn't, and even yeah. even MLB and you know you go down the list. I mean, I've got a lot of opinions, and the thing is, a lot of our listeners do too. But I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming all the way up here to Athens to sit down with me in the studio, and uh, maybe what we'll do is we'll do this again, but we'll bring in Tony. And Will as well, and we can just yeah. kind of you and you and Will can have a sidebar on sports journalism and, love and everything like that. That'd so where great. where can people how can people find you, follow you, what time are you on? Kind of give people how yeah. they can track you down. Uh the most accessible way to find me would be on social media. And my last name is Blankenship. So this kind of plays into what my handle is. So if you're still listening to me after explaining all of that, it's Wes W E S underscore and then the letter N, and then the word ship. So it's Wes blank, which is the underscore, in ship. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, through that tag. And then on 11 Alive, we broadcast at 6 p.m., 5 o'clock as well. Um, there's not a, a guaranteed sports presence at 5, but you should watch 11 Alive at 5 o'clock anyway and follow 11 Alive Sports on Twitter. And we're on at 5, 6, 10, and 11. Awesome. Any any other times? Any other places they can see you? Yeah. The, well, uh, the Sunday evening. Like Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, 11.35 each Sunday, we do a half-hour show called Sports Extra, and we have some really great guests on. Um, I'd say at least twice a month, we have either a former Georgia football player or uh, we have a partnership with UGA Rivals. One of those insiders will be on our show so if you're trying to get more like Georgia access insight, we have you covered most of the week. And for the 2020 season, we're going to put an, an RFP in for uh, Tony or Will or myself to be one of those air quoted insiders. Hey man, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. If you can make the <laughs> if you can make the drive from Athens on a Sunday night, I'd be happy to have you. Well, I appreciate you being here, and uh, yeah, y'all y'all give uh, Wes a follow on Twitter and uh, go dogs. Thanks, Scott. Let me save this. I've been known not to. Oh, that would be brutal. It would. It's happened before. Thanks so much for listening. And on behalf of Tony and Will, I'd like to thank Wes for taking time out of his schedule to drive up here to Athens and be a part of this podcast. Remember, you can follow Wes on Twitter and Instagram at Wes underscore the letter N and then the word ship. That's Wes blank and ship. One of the most original Twitter handles that you'll find ever. The three of us, Tony, Will, and I, will be back for a new show sometime after July 4th. And then the production on shows definitely starts to ramp up to a more fevered pitch as we get closer and closer to the 2019 college football kickoff. I'd like to also give a special shout out to those of you, our listeners, who have left us a few podcast reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That's what they're calling it now. Apple Podcasts will discuss those reviews when the three of us record again very soon. So hit that subscribe button and consider leaving us a rating and review. It really is one of our favorite parts of recording a new episode, the part where we get to read and react to your podcast reviews. And until then, happy Independence Day to everyone. Be safe out there shooting off all those store-bought fireworks. 
And uh, yeah, we'll see you on campus in early September. And as always, go dogs.